Well, today I'm going to continue to talk about this question, can, can we know God? You know, and uh, I, I share just in, re, in the way of review, the first time we got together, I talked about how God makes himself known through creation, and God makes himself known through the person of Jesus. You know, I love that, that Jesus said, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And if you want to get to know what God's like, read the Gospels. Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These are four books, the first four books of the New Testament. And it's the story of the life of Jesus. And um, especially if you're a new Christian, spend time there. You know, I think a lot of times, I, I remember when I first got saved, I wanted to read the book of Revelation. And somebody, somebody challenged me to go someplace else, and I decided to listen to him. I'm glad I did. But spend time with Jesus. Spend time learning about who he is. Because when you see Jesus, you begin to know what God is like. And um, I don't know. The more I, the more I know Jesus, the more I love him. And I hope you'll find the same thing. And the last way we get to know God is through his word. I mean, he reveals himself to us through the scripture. And that's what we've been looking at. Now, the first week we talked about that God is love. And then the next week we talked about God is light. Today I want to talk about God is good. How many of you believe that? That God is good. <laughs> right on. In Romans chapter 8, verse 28, you know, he goes through this chapter. This scripture I'm going to read to you in a minute is, is within a context. And the context of this chapter is that, you know, he mentions how we've been called and justified and glorified. There's, there's this purpose in our life that God is involved with us. He calls us. He justifies us from our sin. But he's, he's moving us along to this place where we'll be glorified. And, and it's, we're in God's hands for that purpose. And then near the end of the chapter, he says, what, what will separate us from God's love? And he, he asks questions. Will, will the sword, will famine, will nakedness, will peril, will death? And he says, no, there's nothing in this world that will ever separate us from the love of God. And notice that those things that he mentions as possibilities are things that aren't that good to have to go through, are they? Peril, nakedness, famine, sword. And yet you see through Scripture that God's people did experience those things. And we see even today in our world, people experience those kinds of things. And, and we often get asked this question when we're out there sharing the gospel with others. If God is so good, why do these bad things happen? You ever heard that question? Maybe you've had that question. If God is so good, how can, how can all these bad things happen? And I guess to put it simply, it's because God has given us a free will. And we choose to do what we want. And people hurt one another. I mean, that's, that's the bottom line. But that doesn't change the goodness of God. I think that's the, that's the bulk of what he wants to say to us in Romans 8.28. He says, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. And I like this because it doesn't say all things are good because maybe there is peril. Maybe there is sword. Maybe there is famine. Maybe there is nakedness. But all things work together for good because you can't, you can't push away the purpose of God. He's called us. 
He's justified us. He will glorify us. This is God's purpose and plan for our life. And no matter what comes our way in this world, no matter what we must face in terms of suffering or hardship or trial, it won't stop the purpose of God from being accomplished. And so we can say we know, we have confidence in this, that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. I like this idea that all things work together for good, but that tells me that God is not only good, but he's powerful because he's able to take all those things and somehow make them work for good. You might look at someone's life, or maybe you're here today and you're thinking about your own life. You're thinking, man, my life isn't so good. Look at all the things I've had to go through. Or maybe you know somebody who's going through trials and struggles of various kinds, and they're wondering, is God really good? But you can stand back in confidence and say, somehow God is good and he's able somehow to work everything for good. And, and we can't lose sight of that. We can't lose sight of the goodness of God no matter what comes our way. And so we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So I want to share with you this morning a story that you're probably familiar with, but I think it's one that uh, probably exemplifies this idea of God being good as much as any in the Bible. And it's the story of Joseph. You know, Joseph was a young man who grew up in a family with 11 other brothers. And his father liked him better than the other ones. He was like his special son. And he made him this beautiful, multicolored robe. And so, you know, Joseph would walk around and almost be like a, an affront to his brothers. And he started having these dreams about seeing his brothers bow down, like one day I'm going to reign over you. You're going to be all bowing down in front of me. And Joseph was one of the younger. He was on the younger side of the family. And can you imagine what it would be like if your younger brother came and said, hey, I'm having these dreams. And in these dreams, all you guys are, are bowing down to me. And they already didn't like him because his father, you know, kind of held him in, in the high regard, gave him this special coat and so on. And they were jealous. And here's what the Bible says. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him. You might think, well, that can't be good. How can God be good and be living in a family where all my brothers hate me? So they hated him, and they could not speak peacefully to him. Come now, let us kill him. Not only did they hate, it, hate him, they wanted to kill him. I mean, that's kind of a bad family to be in, isn't it? I mean, you don't think that that's, that doesn't sound good. We say all things work together for good, and you're living in this family where your brothers hate you, and they're conspiring to kill you. How can you see good in that? So they said, come, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. And then we'll say that a fierce animal devoured him, and then we'll see what will become of his dreams. Well, one of the brothers, thankfully, talked them out of killing him. They did throw him in a pit. They did tear his robe and throw blood on it. And they sold him off into a band of people who were going into Egypt. He basically was sold as a, like a slave, in a sense. And they went back to the father who loved him so much. 
And they showed him this robe with all the blood on it and said, a wild animal got your son. And this, you know, his dad was just grieved for years now because his beloved son had been killed by an animal, he thought. And so his brothers went and sold him. Here's what it says in verse 23. When Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore, and they took him and they threw him into the pit. And then later on in that chapter, it says, the Midianite traders passed by, and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit, and they sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver, and they took Joseph to Egypt. So put yourself in Joseph's shoes for a minute. I mean, you're just, I mean Joseph at this time is 17 years old. I mean, he's not like an old, mature man. He's a young boy, 17 years old, trying to figure out what life's all about, taken by his family, where you should feel love and security and safety, all that. He was taken by his family, hated, wanting to kill him. And someone talked him out of that, so they just threw him into a pit, waited for these other guys to come by. And they said, hey, can you take our brother because we don't want him? And so they sold him for 20 pieces of silver, and there you go. You're off in a caravan to a strange country, not knowing anybody, at age 17. Now, would you be in the back of that caravan singing, God is so good. God is so good. See, it's like, how do you do that? How can you remember the goodness of God when you're, you know, when you're facing things like this? So then what happened is in uh, chapter 39, Joseph had been brought down to Egypt. And Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him. So it wasn't so bad in Potiphar's house. I mean, I don't want you to think he was living in a pit somewhere. He was, but he was bought. He was a slave. He didn't have his own freedom. You're a 17-year-old boy, and you're kind of in the prime of your life. But you have to now live under the governor of somebody else, you know, taking care of his things, being like a slave, in a sense, in a nice place, but still a slave. But I love verse 21. But the Lord was with him. See, that's something we got to never forget. No matter, no matter what's going on in your life, no matter how bad it might look, I love that but. You know, we talk about the buts that are in the Bible. This is a good but. But the Lord was with him. The Lord was with him. Now, whether Joseph realized it or not, doesn't say. Um, kind of indicates, it. I'll share with you in a moment, that maybe he felt like he was forgotten. But God didn't forget him. God knew exactly where he was. And his eye was on him. And if you know the story, as you probably do, God was actually orchestrating this entire situation. Because he had a beautiful plan that was good for everybody. Joseph couldn't see it. I mean, we oftentimes live just from our own perspective. In our own perspective, Joseph could have been walking around all his life as a victim. My brothers hate me. They wanted to kill me. They threw me into 
the pit. They sold me as a slave. And now here I am in the prime of my life living in this house of Potiphar. What's my life all about? And he becomes like this victim mentality, not knowing that, hey, God is with him. God is with him. I believe that God is with us. I don't, I, I don't, it doesn't matter what we have to go through. He's always there. He's always with us. And so verse 21 says, The Lord was with Joseph, and he showed him steadfast love. Steadfast love. It never changes. You may not feel loved. You may feel rejected. You may feel hated and despised even by your own family. But the Lord is with you, and his steadfast love is there. The Lord was with Joseph. He showed him steadfast. I love the word steadfast. It's like it's unchanging. It's going to be there no matter what you go through. His love is steadfast. And he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. I'm I'm sorry. I'm, I'm reading the wrong spot here. You guys trying to follow along and you couldn't? The Lord was with Joseph and he became a successful man. You know, Joseph, in some ways, when he was in Potiphar's house, he was just laboring, doing his job, and the favor of God was upon him. And when Potiphar looked at him, he thought, wow, look at this guy. He's, he's faithful. He's doing his job, so I'm going to give him more responsibility and more responsibility. So even in a bad situation, God's lifting him up. And before you know it, he's in charge of Potiphar's entire house. He's like, he's like the man in charge. It's Joseph, this, this boy sold by his brothers as a slave, is now in charge of Potiphar's house. He became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. And look at this here. It says, his master saw that the Lord was with him. It was just evident to others. And I think that's probably true with us sometimes, that maybe we don't see the goodness of God in our life when others on the outside who aren't necessarily experiencing the emotional strain that you're going through because your brothers kicked you out of the house. Other people might be able to see the hand of God is upon that person. If you see that in someone's life, would you tell them? Tell them. It would be such an encouragement. I see the hand of God on your life. I see God moving in your life. I know the Lord has got his eye upon you. It's such an encouraging thing. And so if Potiphar saw this in, in, in Joseph, and it says the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So God blessed him abundantly, even though he was, you know, in a sense, a slave. And then what happened is he gains all this, you know, authority within the house. He has everything under his power. And he was, I'm sure, a nice young man, probably a handsome young man. Well, Potiphar's wife sees this guy walking around. She's thinking, hmm, there's a nice-looking young man over there. And she tries to seduce him to come, really, come to bed with her. Well, remember, he's a young man. He's, I don't know how old he is now, but he's, you know, just past 17, 18, 19, maybe in his 20s somewhere. And this woman is saying, hey, come on, come on over here. Come and be with me. And this guy had such integrity in his heart, and he wouldn't do it. He wouldn't, he wouldn't go lay with her because he didn't want to sin against the Lord. 
you know, there was just a beautiful thing happening in Joseph's heart, even though he was undergoing all this other hatred and spite from others, there was, God was working. God was involved in his life, always watching. And so it says, um, Joseph's master took him and put him into prison. Because one day what happened is Potiphar's wife said, come and lay with me. And she grabbed him and started pulling him over toward her. And he basically threw off his cloak and ran. Like he wanted to be pure before the Lord. And so he ran. And she was so offended by that that she cried out and said to the guards, Hey, that, that Jewish or that Israelite boy that you brought into here, look what he's done. He's tried to come in here and rape me. And I, and I pushed him away and he left his cloak right here with me. So now... Here's this young kid who's doing such a good job. He's getting raised up, you know, getting promotions. He's head of the whole Potiphar's house. And now you think his life's on a great trajectory. This guy's got a great career. Look what's happening. Man, it's a beautiful thing happening. And all of a sudden he gets falsely accused of trying to commit adultery with this woman. And his master took him and put him in the prison. Now, wouldn't you think, Lord, how does this happen to me all the time? I'm trying to be faithful. I'm trying to be good. I'm trying to do the right things. First, my brothers get rid of me. They throw me away. I get sold as a slave. I'm doing good for a while. Now I'm thrown into prison for something I didn't even do. But can you see how a life like that might be one that could say, where is the goodness of God? You know, if God was so good, why do all these Bad things keep happening to me. And so, verse 21 says again, and I love it, but the Lord was with Joseph. Do you see that? Even though he was thrown into prison, the Lord was with him. And he showed him steadfast love. That's where I was reading earlier. He showed him steadfast love, and he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. It's like everywhere he went, even though bad things were happening in his life, people could see, man, the hand of God is on this kid. I don't know what it is about him. And so Potiphar saw it, and he raised him up, and now the guy who's running the jail, he sees it, and he raises him up. The Lord was with Joseph, and he showed him steadfast love, and he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And then it says, the keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. He basically said, Joseph, you take care of all those things. I trust you, you know, or whatever the words were. But he, he realized that Joseph had the hand of God upon him. I don't have to worry about anything that you're doing. But still, it was a bad thing for Joseph. How would you like to sit in prison for something you didn't do? So, the Lord was with him. Whatever he did, it says the Lord made it succeed. Now, later on in this prison, there were a couple guys that had some dreams. One guy was a baker and one guy was a a cupbearer for the king. And they were, they were thrown in prison. They were there for, for some reason. 
And they had these dreams one night, and they start sharing their dreams with Joseph. And the Lord has given Joseph the ability to interpret dreams. And so the one guy says, hey, I had this dream. What's going to happen to me? And he says, well, you're the baker. Here's what's going to happen. In three days, the king's going to let you out of prison, but he's going to hang you, and you're going to die. And that's, that's the dream. I, what can I say? And then the other guy, he says, well, your dream, what it means is in three days, the king's going to call you back, and he's going to restore you back to your position as the cupbearer. You'll be honored again. And then Joseph said to him, look, let's read what he says here. Verse 40, or I'm sorry, yeah, verse 40, verse 14, chapter 40, verse 14. Only remember me. I'm in this prison, and yeah, I got some responsibility now, but I don't want to be here. You know, when you get out, would you put a good word in for me? That's what he's asking. He gave the guy a good, a good report on what his dream meant. He said, please remember me when it is well with you. Please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this house. That's, that's the scripture I was thinking. Maybe he was getting a little bit discouraged. I just want out. I, I want to get out of here. You know, I'm, I'm here for something I didn't do anyhow. But when you get there, when you get an audience with the Pharaoh, would you please... Put a good word in for me. Tell him what a good guy I am. For indeed, I was stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also I have done nothing that they should put me into this pit. And then it says, the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Wouldn't that be a bummer? I mean, you give this guy the interpretation, hey, in three days you're going to go before Pharaoh Would you remember me? And so you're thinking, okay, it's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Thursday, I should be hearing a good word about me getting out. Thursday comes, nothing. Well, maybe Friday. Maybe Saturday. Well, what about Sunday? No word. It's like two years went by. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine after asking an act of kindness for something you've done and now you're just forgotten? I mean, Joseph had probably a good reason to be bummed out about his life. By this time, he's approaching 30 years old. He's close to 30 years old. When he gets out, he's 30 years old. 13 years he spent, you know, either in the pit, in the prison, in Potiphar's house, or here in jail. In the prime time of his life, one thing after another negative happening to him. And yet, the Bible says God is good. And the Lord was with him in the midst of all that. But 13 years is a long time. You know? So in Genesis 41, time came around where Pharaoh had a dream. And he's trying to get some some of the uh, people around him to say, hey, can you interpret my dream? And no one could interpret it. And he was, you know, flustered about this. Well, the cupbearer heard him talking about this dream. And he goes, oh, hey, I know this guy. There's a guy I know I was in prison with. He can interpret dreams. Bring him up. He'll tell you what it means. And so, lo and behold, they remember Joseph in in the prison. They go get him out. 
and Joseph comes over. The Pharaoh shares the dream, and Joseph is able to interpret the dream. And the dream was basically, you're going to have seven years of plenty. You're going to have a great harvest every year, and then there's going to be seven years of famine. He said the famine is going to be so bad that you've got to make sure that during the time when the harvest is plentiful, save up some. Save it up so you have um, food you know, during the times of famine. And you should find somebody that you can put in responsibility of this to make sure it gets done. Somebody to administrate this, this task. And here's what the Pharaoh says. Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards to the throne will I be greater than you. So in one moment, in one moment's time, it's like God prepared this young man through all of his struggles for this one moment of his life. To be able to stand up there. I mean, you're talking about a prisoner coming out of a prison, standing before the Pharaoh of all of Egypt. And by the things that he spoke from God, the interpretation of this dream, Pharaoh raised him up to be second in charge of the entire country. Isn't that amazing to you? I mean, I don't know about you, but that's amazing to me. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, it's like everything turned around. 13 years, misery, 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 and now I'm second in charge of all of Egypt, except for the throne. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. And so he begins to, to rule for those seven years of plenty, and he's saving up the grain and storing it up, and they have massive amounts of food stored up. And then the seven years of famine begin to come, and people are starving. So everybody from all around is coming to Egypt because they hear there's food over there. And Joseph's able to, you know, divvy it out to make sure people are able to eat and be provided for. Well, lo and behold, back in Joseph's hometown, guess what? His brothers are starting to starve. They're running out of food. Those guys that sold him into slavery all those years ago, no food. And their father said, hey, listen, uh, we heard there's some food over there in Egypt. Why don't you go buy us some? And so his brothers come over to Egypt. And as they come into the area where Joseph's at, it's been so many years since they've seen him, they don't even recognize him. It's like going to a class reunion. <laughs> you know, like, who is that person over there? But he looks up there. They don't recognize Joseph. But they, you know what they're doing? They're bowing down. Joseph's dream of his brothers bowing down before him came to pass. And Joseph had the power and the authority of Pharaoh in his hands. What do you do with these brothers who ruined my life? What do you do with these brothers who, because of them, I spent 13 years of my life in prison or as a slave? away from my family, prime years of my life, what do you do with them? Chop their heads off? You know, Joseph had the power to do whatever. But he, 
the Lord was moving upon his heart, and he had compassion for his brothers. He didn't, he didn't show them who he was. He still kept himself disguised, but he gave them some, you know the story. I don't want to go into all of it, but um, gave them some food. He tricked them to, like something was stolen from his house. And so they, they chased the caravan down. They, 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 oh, you stole some things from me. I'm not going to let you go unless you bring your younger brother here. He, there was a younger brother they left behind. And uh, Joseph wanted to see him. And so his brothers were so afraid. It's like, oh, my goodness, if we tell our father that he wants to see the youngest brother, our father's going to go crazy because he's, he's very protective of him. He already lost Joseph. He doesn't want to lose this one here as well. And so they ended up bringing the younger brother. Lo and behold, Joseph eventually, he reveals himself to his brothers. And he he weeps. He he weeps with them. And I love what he said in uh, chapter 50, verse 20. When when all was said and done, he, he said to them, Listen, I want you to come to Egypt. Come bring your families. Everybody come over here. We have so much food. And so they went back and they got all the, I think about 70 people came. And they came and they moved over here. And Joseph said, hey, I'm going to give you this land over here. It was called, I think it was called the land of Goshen. You can come over here and you live. This is your place. And, and he fed them and he took care of them and he loved them. See, he didn't, he didn't uh, demand them to continue to bow down to him all his life. He served them. He honored them. He blessed them. And somehow God moved in this man's heart in such a way that he really preserved the people of Israel. They would have all died in the famine had it not been for Joseph. And so what Joseph was able to see through all of this was, verse 20, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Isn't that awesome? Somehow he was able to step back away from the whole situation and see God's bigger plan. God had a beautiful plan. It was a plan that worked good. All things worked together for good. And so the Lord did good to Joseph. He did good to his brothers. You know, God did good to his brothers. You know that? He gave them food. The brothers who... Sold him. They, they, he was good to them. God was good to the Israelites. He was good to the Jewish or the, the, the Egyptians. The Egyptians who in a short time would be their oppressors. God was good to them. He gave food to all those people and even to other nations. But you know, it took, it took, it took one person who was prepared by God through all those things to stand and in one day interpret a dream and be available to be used by God. Not to condemn, not to take revenge, not to chop their heads off, not to say, see, I told you so, you would bow before me and you're going to continue to bow. No, to save them alive. Because God was good and God had good in store. God was able to see this famine coming and to prepare for his people through the life of Joseph. I don't know about you, but when I look at that life of Joseph, I see the goodness of God. Now, if you were Joseph living in it, you probably didn't see it. And that's what I'm saying is that sometimes we have this limited perspective, which is just very myopic. I'm just looking at my life through this lens. 
but we fail to see sometimes the bigger plan or that God has something else in store, something beautiful, something good, something you could never, ever imagine. And I believe that God is able to work all things for good. I just have a few scriptures I'll close with, just little nuggets. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. Amen. Do you believe that? Psalm 100, verse 5, the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. The Lord is good. Love endures forever. And his faithfulness to all generations. You know this goodness of God that we saw in Joseph's life? It's to all generations. It's to this generation. And you may be sitting here today saying, yeah, but Kirk, you don't know how miserable my life is. I'm telling you, no matter how miserable it is, all things work together for good. Give it time and you will see the goodness of the Lord. Psalm 34, 8, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Would you taste, just taste and see? You know, don't be afraid. Don't run from it. Don't say why, God. Taste and see. And you'll see the goodness of the Lord. Lamentations. The Lord is good to those who wait for him. For the soul who seeks him. You know, Joseph waited 13 years. Job was another man who waited many years. Maybe you've been waiting. Maybe you just started your first year. Maybe there's 13 to go. But the Lord is good for those who wait on him. To the soul who seeks him. I have a couple, two scriptures here that I didn't have in my notes, but... In James 5, it's talking about Job, and it says, Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job. In other words, Job, even though he was going through difficulty, he remained steadfast. He remained true to the Lord. Somehow he knew that there was something good that would come out of this. How can I deny the Lord? And so he says, You've heard of the steadfastness of Job, And you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. If you know the story of Job, the end of it is so beautiful because it's the goodness of God. It's the goodness of God seen in that man's life. And then the last scripture is David wrote this in Psalm 27. And if you read the earlier parts of of this chapter, it's, it's talking about, you know, fighting against these enemies. You were coming in, wanting to destroy him, wanting to wipe his life out. And, and, you know, he could have been just miserable about the, 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 his future prospects. But these guys are all trying to kill me no matter where I go. But here's what he said. I believe, this is in Psalm 27, 13. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. See, not, not when I die and go to heaven. Obviously, the goodness of the Lord will be there. He says, I believe I'm going to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage and wait for the Lord. So I'd like you to stand with me if you would. I would like you this morning to just think about the goodness of God. Do you know? Here's what it says in Romans 8.28. We know 
that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Do you know that? I hope you do. I hope if you didn't know that, that maybe this morning you'll start thinking that way because it's true. The Lord is good to all who wait upon him. I believe that I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. If you're one of those ones who goes around questioning the goodness of the Lord, go back and read the story of Joseph again. Look at the story of Jesus dying on the cross. That would have been a bad day for those disciples. And yet it was the goodness of God that gave us his son as a sacrifice. I pray that we can be able to step away from our own circumstances, Lord. I pray that we could not just look at life from the bad things that might happen to us, but to know that in the midst of those, you are with us. You never leave us. You never forsake us. You are good, and you work all things for good. I pray that we would trust you in the midst of our trial, in the midst of our hardships. We would trust you, whether they come from friend or foe, whether it's our our own family uh, denying us or writing us off, whatever it may be, falsely accused, We know that you are with us and you never leave us and you never forsake us and you are good, O Lord. I pray that we would know you experientially as a good God. I ask you for that in the wonderful name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. All right.